Thank you for joining me for another episode of Empower Apps. I'm your host, Leo Dion. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Vincent Preday. Hey, Vincent, how are you doing? Hi, Leo. Yeah, I'm doing good. Thank you for having me on your podcast. So I'll let you go ahead and introduce yourself and what you do. So, yeah, so I'm Vincent. I'm an uh, iOS uh, software engineer. Uh, actually, I've, uh, I can say now that I have 10 years of experience in iOS because my first internship, it was uh, February the 14th, 2011. So 10 years ago, like a few days. So I'm very happy to say that I have 10 years experience. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, time goes by very fast. So I'm working for a company called uh, Worldline. So my main job is to work on iOS apps for the banking and payment industry. And uh, I also have, uh, as a side project, a YouTube channel. So with uh, educational content uh, on all things iOS and Swift uh, related. Yeah, and if you haven't checked out Vincent's YouTube channel, how long have you been doing that? Uh, I started the YouTube channel end of uh, September last year. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was pretty recent, but it's been pretty amazing just seeing you pump out content like you have. Uh, it's been fantastic. So folks, definitely check that out. So I'm excited for our topic today because I saw your recent video in Async and Away. And uh, if people know me, they know I'm interested in the topic of uh, asynchronous programming, multi-threaded parallel stuff and all that. Um, I did a talk last year and the year before that on it, which I'll have linked to the show notes as well. So it's kind of great that we could get together and talk about this topic and especially this big new feature that's coming to Swift probably within a few months, I would think. What's just your overall thought on async and await? Well, my my overall thought, I could say that I think it's going to be not a game changer, but uh, still a major change in the way that uh, we we write apps. Because uh, I'm sure we're going to discuss it later in the episode. But uh, async await is very good at simplifying all the basic use cases of asynchronous uh, asynchronous programming, meaning that it doesn't cover as much scope as a tool like Combine, for instance, would. But the small part that it does cover, it does it very well with the minimum possible syntax. I'm pretty sure that iOS developers are going to adopt it very quickly. And uh, the only part that for me is still uh, a question mark is how much it will be integrated with Apple's own framework, so like SwiftUI, like uh, Combine, uh, etc. But uh, I think it's definitely going to be one of the major additions to Swift for this year. So for most folks, when they run into asynchronous development, the biggest library or suite, I, I don't know what you'd call it, framework is uh, Grand Central Dispatch, GCD. GCD has a few issues with it. I think a lot of people run into um, that I think sync in a way hopefully resolve is the idea of like callbacks and closures and being able to make sure that those things are completed correctly. What have you found like your biggest challenge with using Grand Central Dispatch? Well, I think uh, GCD first, we need, to, we need to put it back in its context. Meaning that uh, GCD, so when it is released, if I'm right, it's released with uh, macOS 10 uh, Leopard, so somewhere around 2005. And it was at the time where, when Max, when Max started to have uh, dual core processors, so dual core CPUs. So I think it was Core Duo 
at the at the time. So there was this need. Now Max were able to run asynchronous code and multi-threaded code on real multi-core CPUs. So developers needed to have an API that would make multi-threaded development as easy as possible. And uh, I mean, when you think about what there was before, so things like P-threads and low-level threading API, they were very hard to, to deal with. So GCD, when I think if you find... Uh, presentation about GCD at the time, I'm sure you can find some words like saying this is a declarative approach because it was, of course, much more high level than what uh, what there was before. But still, it was also a product of its time. So it was a, a block-based API and that was made with uh, Objective-C and C as the, as the main platform. So GCD, great innovation. But of course, when you use it in Swift, it doesn't feel as much at home as possible, and uh, especially when you compare with other languages that have implemented async await or similar patterns, I'm thinking about uh, Kotlin that has implemented coroutines, you see that definitely the JCD APIs, they show their age, they show that they are well, more than 15 years old, and so it was time, I guess, for, for, for an, uh, an overhaul and uh, a better built-in solution into the language to deal with asynchronous code. Yeah, like... You cover really a couple of good points. Um, I don't know if folks remember, but like there was a time in the early days of Swift when GCD was not like Swifty at all. But luckily they started refactoring some of that, like the dispatch groups and the dispatch queues into a much more Swifty nature. So it's better now than it used to be, but it's still, like you said, still Objective-C behind the scenes. So that can sort of make it challenging, I think, for Swift developers. Hey folks, I want to let you know about Swift Heroes Digital 2021, happening this year, Friday, April 16th. Swift Heroes Digital is a one-day event for developers, designers, and project managers at all levels of experience with the Swift platform. This year, not only will I be speaking on Swift packages, dependency management of the future, but previous guests like Donnie Walls will be talking about core data, as well as Vincent Perday will be talking more about async await. You'll definitely want to check this conference out. For listeners of the show, you can use the special discount code in the show notes to get 20% off your ticket. That's right. Use the discount code in the show notes to get 20% off your Swift Heroes ticket for Swift Heroes Digital 2021. These tickets not only include on-the-day live presentations, but continued on-demand access after the event. So if there's any questions you have about any of the talks, you'll definitely want to get a ticket so you can ask those questions live for the presenters. Check out the agenda at swiftheroes.com to see the schedule and learn more about what events and talks are going on. Again, use the discount code to get 20% off your Swift Heroes ticket. Thank you, Swift Heroes, for inviting me to speak at this exciting event. And I'm looking forward to talking as well as listening to the other speakers at Swift Heroes Digital 2021. I think like if we sum it up, GCD, what's super great is that it completely abstract away the low-level idea of a thread and you only have to deal with a queue. Yeah, so there used to be like an actual NS thread class. Well, there still is an NS thread class um, that you can actually use. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it, uh, but you could definitely tell like this is a much more lower level way of doing things that I wouldn't recommend, uh, but it's available if you ever want to run a thread like actually hard code a thread, but 
Yeah, now GCD is a much more abstract layer above that. Exactly. We abstract over really like uh, OS level concept, but there are still some missing parts. For instance, with GCD, it's very easy to run a piece of code on a queue, but it's much harder to orchestrate several pieces of code running on queues. So if you want to have two pieces of code run sequentially or run in parallel and then synchronize their result, you need to do it by hand. And uh, that's one of the limitations that Async Await is trying to to have already built in into its API. One thing I want to also mention, and you talk about this, because GCD came in uh, with the first set of multi-core processors. Um, and... Processors like have been getting faster, but around that time, around 2005, they're sort of hit like thermal limits to where you didn't see processor speeds like actually get higher um, because of those thermal limits. So that's why there was more of a dependency on the number of cores as a way to speed up uh, computers. And we see this a lot. And we'll see this obviously with the M1 chips too, but like there's been a greater emphasis in the last 10 or 15 years on putting more cores on uh, CPUs as opposed to just ramping up the clock speed, so to speak. And so there's this, like you said, a greater dependency on create programmers building their applications in such a way so it can be done on multiple cores. So that way those processes can be done a lot faster. Yeah, yeah, this, uh, yeah, this makes sense to me. What other languages have you, or do you develop in? I'm just kind of curious. So me, I'm doing, uh, I'm doing mostly Swift, but uh, since I focused a lot on uh, Eric Swift at some point, I looked at the other implementations. So I have some idea of uh, how languages like Kotlin or, or JavaScript deal with uh, synchronous code. So one of the things I've noticed when I've done some JavaScript code uh, is this idea of promises, which... Uh, Swift doesn't really have natively. Uh, there's libraries out there like PromiseKit. Have you ever used PromiseKit before? Uh, very quickly. I really like it because we'll get into this when we get into um, async await. But like one of the things with async await is it avoids kind of that like callback hell, um, which we've all seen, uh, like a pyramid <laughs> of doom. I don't know what other names I've heard of it, but like with promises, like these callbacks are kind of structured into actual objects. And you see this with Swift Neo too. Um, if you do any backend Swift development with uh, event loop future and the idea of like using functional programming as a way to like channel how those results are done. Um, and if, it sounds like you've done a lot of combined lately, but you see this with combined too, where like the return data is, can be used. We talked with Daniel uh, Steinberg ab about this, but just how functional programming is another way of like taking those results and those asynchronous results and make it a lot easier for programmers to work with because you can work with those results as they happen, as opposed to having this pyramid of doom, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. And personally for me, so promises and combine and Rx, I would all put them in the same category, the category of people recognize that orchestrating asynchronous code was a challenge because when you were doing it naively, it leads to situations like uh, the Pyramid of Doom. So they try to think what is the best API that we can come up in order to 
orchestrate asynchronous code. And when you look at the function signatures with promises and with combine and with Eric Swift, you find similarities. For instance, the then method that you will find when you work with promises, it is very similar to flat map that you will find in combine and, uh, and Eric Swift. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I talked about the multi-core efficiency. What a, do you know other benefits that folks will have when they're writing their code in an asynchronous fashion uh, and using using like the sort of asynchronous multi-threaded paradigm, so to speak? Well, I think when you're doing an iOS app, so the, the basic iOS app, the first time you encounter the need uh, to deal with async code is when you want to make a network request, basically. That's for me, that's the, the basic use case, whether it is to load an image or to query uh, an API. Whenever you need to do a network call, you need to implement it asynchronously because, of course, you cannot pause and block the entire UI of your app until the network call has returned. That's just not possible. That's just not acceptable. You could do it if you are doing a command line tool, but uh, for a mobile app, that's just outside of the realm uh, of things that user will uh, will accept and for very good reasons. So you need to deal with asynchronous code uh, as soon as you need to make network requests. And basically, every single app needs to make network requests at some point. Right. And then that goes to the biggest, probably the first issue you'll run into is making sure that when you get that data back from your URL that you're making changes to the UI on the main thread. And that needs to be declared using the main dispatch queue because otherwise we have all run into that issue where we forget to put that code in there and you get a crush uh... yeah yeah a crash or a warning in xcode or something like that so yeah that is definitely one of the first issues you're going to run into is making sure that you are doing your networking outside of the main thread but any ui updates should be done on the main thread so let's get into how await and async actually work Maybe I'll let you explain what's what have you found is like the general philosophy of async await and how it deals with like these classes, so to speak. Yeah, so a few minutes uh, ago we discussed about uh, how PromiseKit, Erics, and Combine they kind of all follow the same philosophy of saying, okay, asynchronous code is hard. Let's try and find the best API in order to orchestrate asynchronous code. Well, I'd say async await. It's a totally different philosophy. Async await is saying, okay, we're going to create this special kind of function called async function. Are they, are they going to have an extra right that normal function don't have? Is that they're going to have the right to block the thread that called them? So of course, as whenever you give yourself the ability to block your thread, well, you also get the ability to turn asynchronous code into synchronous code trivially because you just need to block until the async code has returned. So these functions, this async function, they can deal with async code very easily because they can deal with it just like we would with any normal code. Meaning that if you want to have two async calls, one happening after the other, well, you just need to set them up on two separate lines of code and you won't need to nest anything. You're just going to treat your async code just like regular synchronous code. So that's the general ID. And then what we do is that since we've given this async function, this special right to block their thread, we are going to counterbalance it by saying that 
this function, we can only call them on very specific context because at the call site, we need to make sure that indeed we are not blocking the wrong thread, meaning that we are not blocking the, the main thread, the one that deals with the UI. So, and what's, and what I found super interesting is to see that there are two very different ways to deal with the same problem, but they are both very valid ways to deal with the problem, you know, very easy to find a lot of bad solution, but it's kind of rare to have two good solutions to the same problem. Yeah. Essentially, like when you declare a function as being asynchronous, you have to make sure that the whole entire chain is asynchronous as well. And that there's a weights. Uh, otherwise, if you need to call a, an asynchronous function in a synchronous fashion, or you need to wait on it, uh, that's where you have to, like you said, you have to put it in some sort of block that blocks that current thread. And it just makes, yeah, it makes the code a lot easier to work with. Like you said, pyramid of doom, making sure that you are always calling the callback correctly. Things like that are just done a lot easier. So one of the most basic classes that I've found working with it is the idea of a task. What exactly is a task and what does it do? So a task, we could say, is the object that is going to be used in order to encapsulate this whole idea of running an asynchronous code that will return a value. Now, what's super interesting is that even though a task, the task is the object used behind async await, when you use the most basic use case, you actually won't even see it because it will only be dealt with by code that is generated by the compiler and uh, you don't need to explicitly deal with this idea of a task. But uh, when you start getting into more complex use cases, for instance, if you want to be able to cancel your asynchronous function, then you will need to deal explicitly with a task. And so what we could say, a task, it's something that is going to encapsulate an asynchronous code and you're going to be able to call it in order to get the result or you're going to be able to cancel it. Okay. And I think that's important is the idea of being able to cancel these these tasks, so to speak. Exactly. We could say, I'm just thinking that uh, maybe a, a good way to put it is that a task is the context of execution of an async function. Is it almost like, it seemed to me like it's almost like a kind of a promise in a way. It, it's actually very similar. And actually, we are talking about several other languages. For instance, in JavaScript, they've made a choice to completely bridge promises and async await. So you can do an await on a promise and uh, it just work. Uh, it's fully bridged for you by the language. And so something I'm very, very curious to see is that is async await going to be bridged somehow with combine when it is released? That's something I'm very curious about. Yeah. And we talked uh, a few episodes ago, with Tim uh, Condon, who, were, who was on the Vapor team about how um, they have their own paradigm with event loop future for their promises and how they're going to have to bridge that stuff over with a sync away in the next version of Vapor. So yeah, you th you'd think, and I kind of, <laughs> we talked about this before the episode, I've kind of like started trying to like figure out how that would even work, but you know, it's still very beta. Now, People can play around with this stuff now, right? Yeah, so that's one of the great things about async await right now is that since async await is part of the Swift language, so it has already started to be implemented in Swift. And uh, if we download the what is called the snapshot development of the Swift toolchain from the official website of Swift, so Swift.org, we can install the snapshot version of the toolchain and we can start and use it uh, in Xcode. Now, what's 
also important to note is that we only be able to deal with the part of async await that are implemented by the compiler, meaning that we'll be able to implement our own async function. We'll be able to use the await keyword, but for instance, uh, we won't get async functions in uh, APIs like DispatchQ or URL session because these things, they are part of uh, proprietary code from Apple. And so for this part, we're going to have to wait the official release. So maybe next WDC, for instance. There's a really great blog post by Aniko Alonso about how to get started. And I know you have a video about it as well if you want to install the snapshot and play around with it uh, in Xcode. Uh, it's really easy uh, to get started. And then there's like, yeah, a couple of flags you need to add in your Swift package in order for it to compile. But we'll have some code samples in our show notes as well if you're interested in taking a look at what, how we're playing around with it. So there's the task. We talked about that. Now, the other thing is the idea of a continuation. What's the difference between a continuation and a task? So continuation. So very tough part to explain it when there is only voice and no way to show uh, <laughs> to show anything because it's uh, uh, a continuation. It's a complicated uh, function signature. So if you find uh, if you're listening and you find this part a bit too incomprehensible, please go check out uh, one of the resources that I'm sure Leo will put in the description of the episode. And once you see it, it will probably be much clearer than when we try to describe it. But a continuation, so basically, it's, uh, as we've said, when you have an async function, you are allowed to block your thread. And a continuation is the tool that is going to allow us to convert existing asynchronous function that work with compression handler into async function. A continuation, basically, it's we're going to call a function. So the function is called with unsafe continuation. It takes a completion handler and inside and this completion handler takes an argument which is the continuation and the continuation we call it with an argument and the thing is that the function with and save continuation is going to block its thread and it will only return once we have called resume on the continuation so basically it kind of Likes acts like a, like a semaphore or a locking mechanism. It allows us to call an asynchronous function that works with a compression handler and to block until this function has called its own compression handler. So it's a way to to bridge things together. Now, what's super important to see is that this idea of a continuation is very low level. And actually, once async await is officially released there is a good chance that you won't actually need to use it because you will already have all the async API provided for you by dispatch queue, by URL session, and by all the classes uh, in Foundation, UIKit, and uh, SwiftUI. But right now, since we don't have this already, if we want to create our own async function, we need to use this ID of a continuation. Yeah. No, you've got it. It's basically like... Like you said, uh, with Combine, you know, they gave us a lot of built-in stuff for timers and URL session and things like that. So hopefully they have some of that stuff with uh, whatever comes out in the next few months. Where I've had to deal with it is like when I have, uh, like you said, I'll download something from a URL. I have to put it in this like block with checked uh, checked through and continuation uh, in order to basically have some sort of callback to say when that asynchronous method is completed. Um, and that's essentially what I've been using it for. 
Yeah, and uh, once again, continuation, it's very low level. Actually, it's so low level that you could say that a continuation is the equivalent of a go-to in the functional programming world. So something very low level, and uh, I don't think uh, many iOS developers will actually need to use it once this is an official feature. Have you figured out what the difference between like an unchecked and a checked continuation is? I'm not sure about it. I would say that the check continuation... Uh, so what... So first, uh, maybe we should begin about why the function name is with unsafe continuation, right? Because it's this unsafe that can be uh, a little bit scary. So a continuation right. is something that you need as a developer to make sure that you call it exactly once. Because if you never call it, your thread is going to be blocked forever. And if you call it several times, you enter the realm of undefined behavior. And I think mm. this check continuation, I guess it's going to add some checks at runtime to raise an error if maybe you forget to call it or you call it several times. I guess that's it, but uh, I'm not sure because I haven't like used it. Yeah. Okay. That's That makes a lot more sense. I mean, because it is kind of the callback where you resume with the result. But yeah, hopefully folks like us, they don't, they don't make us have to use that stuff and it's all behind the scenes. Hey folks, I want to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by App Figures. Do you want to get your app features in the App Store? This is probably the best kept secret. There's a simple and straightforward form that Apple provides where you can submit your app for review to get featured. Get tips like these as well as best practices and mobile industry highlights straight to your inbox by signing up for App Figures weekly newsletter at appfigures.com/newsletter. Then head to appfigures.com to try AppFigures for free. If you like it, both new and existing users can use special code MPOWER3030 to get 30% off for the next three months. Again, thank you AppFigures for sponsoring our show and head to appfigures.com to try AppFigures for free. Use the special code to let them know that we sent you and get 30% off for the next three months. Thank you AppFigures for sponsoring our show. Now, how can we deal with situations where an uh, asynchronous function can throw an error? Is that dealt with at all with this new async await stuff? So yeah, you can definitely like deal with uh, async functions and throwing functions. The the two concepts they are completely independent from uh, from one another. So you can definitely have a function that is both async and throwing, and I I'm expecting it like to even become. Uh, a part of the standard API because for things like, for instance, network calls, well, it makes sense to have to deal with, uh, with something that can, uh, that can throw an error. So that's definitely, uh, something that's, uh, that's possible. I guess we'll have to see the design choices that uh, Apple is going to make because in Swift, first we only had throwing functions to report errors, but now we also have the result type, which allows to also report error with the advantage that the result type is actually, uh, statically typed, which throwing is not. We've seen that uh, frameworks like Combine, they rely a lot on typed errors. So I'm actually curious to see how the foundation and UIKit APIs will be implemented when they provide the, the async function. Are they going to go the async throwing route or are they going to go the async route but returning results? Uh, I'm curious about it. Right, that's true. I hadn't thought of that. Because like with Combine, when you call a download or data task of some sort, 
that gives you like a closure or uh, excuse me, a tuple, right? But I don't know if the error is strong typed per se. I guess it would would kind of be, I guess. I'm not sure. Yeah, that's a really interesting point because that's like definitely like just sidetrack. Like one of the big blind spots in Swift is we don't have type throwing. Like it just throws an error. It doesn't say what type it is, which kind of makes it a pain in the neck because then you have to actually check the type itself. So then like if they go with a result type, then we know exactly we're going to get like, oh, this specific URL networking error as opposed to just error in general. Exactly, yeah. So one of the things I've been working with is, is there like an equivalent of like a dispatch group? Uh, and for those who don't know, like there are times when you want to download, like, let's say a hundred URLs, right. And you know, just, you want to wait for all of them to be done. And you typically would use like a dispatch group to have uh, the ability of saying, Hey, here's a bunch of asynchronous tasks. Let me know when they're all done and give me the result. Is there something like that in a sync await? So yeah, so disp- dispatch group. So just to make sure that everybody has it. So dispatch group, it's uh, the name in uh, in foundation for thing that is called more generally a semaphore or a locking mechanism or a synchronization mechanism. So it's a way to synchronize operations together. And so I'd say what's super nice is that in the in the most basic use case when you need to run code in parallel, you don't even need to deal explicitly with a synchronization mechanism because you have something that is called an asynclet. So asynclet, it's uh, basically you can see it when you when you ma- when you call an async function using await, you're actually doing two things at the same time. First you are creating a task and then you are immediately executing it. And of course this entire task creation business is done under the hood for you, but that's what's happening. Uh, when you want to execute two pieces of code in parallel, you need to separate these two steps, meaning that first you want to create all your tasks and then you want to run them together. And so when you are in the most simple use case where you already know the number of tasks that you want to run, meaning that you will have one variable per task, you can use something that is called an asynclet. So instead of declaring your variable with let result equal, you're going to do async let result equal. You will still be calling an async function on the right side of the assignment. The only subtlety is that once you have all your async let's variables, so all your tasks, then you are going to use them all in a statement that is prefixed with await. And this way you are telling the compiler, okay, before this statement is run, you actually need to run all the tasks and synchronize them in order to get the return value and use the return value where I have put my variables. So we are still using uh, under the hood things like task and dispatch group, but we don't need to worry about it. Just with this extra syntax of asynclet and await, the compiler is going to be able to infer all the task hierarchy and is going to be able to just run it for us under the hood. So that's the most basic use case and you don't need to use dispatch group or anything like that. And really like uh, you've been referencing uh, my, my video. So I did two videos on async await for the moment. The second video, I try to compare this syntax that I've just described with using combine and its operators like flat map and zip. And uh, when you take a look at the two together side by side, it's incredible just how nice the syntax for this basic use case looks when you use async await. So that's for the 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 most uh, simple use case, and then you're going to have like 
more complicated use case, like for instance, you said, if you want to query a large number of APIs, so you have an uh, array of maybe uh, URLs for images and you want to download all of them, well, then you'll need to deal with explicitly with tasks. But uh, but to deal with them, you still have some higher level APIs than dealing with a dispatch group explicitly. So you have things like creating tasks with a group. And this way, we could say that... Uh, a lot of the synchronization logic is going to be encapsulated as much as possible for you because a dispatch group is a very unsafe API. Like uh, you need as a developer to make sure that you are indeed calling the right method on the dispatch group. And if you make a mistake, well, your app could uh, either have a race condition or be blocked or deadlocked for forever. So you still need to deal with synchronization explicitly, but they've tried to find the right sweet spot in the API to make it as lightweight as possible. Yeah, I was. We we're talking on Slack about this, about how we're trying to. I was trying to write a map function for asynchronous methods, and I was using task with group, um, and and figured it out as best as I could. And I think, like you said, it's a lot safer than dispatch group because with dispatch group, at any point you forget to enter, you forget to leave, you forget to notify or wait. Uh, you're going to be in big trouble. Um, whereas I think this is going to make it a lot simpler and a lot easier. And I would think like so something like map will eventually just be built in to where we don't need to like, I don't need to write this extension for array in order to do this um, to where, you know, it's just easier to do asynchronous mapping uh, or reduce or whatever function you need to do easily. Yeah, I think we can expect, like, maybe not in Apple API, but to have some uh, open source extension that will implement this ability to be able to do, to run map in parallel or reduce in parallel for large uh, set of data. I'm sure that's something that will, uh, that is going to come out. And uh, indeed, it could be very useful for apps that need to perform, like, uh, a lot of computation. And also for people who do like Swift on the back end, for them, I'm sure they will find use cases very easily. Yeah, exactly. So you kind of touched on Combine in your new video. Like, how does this stuff fit in with Combine? Uh, so that's still a big question mark because we don't know uh, the choices that uh, Apple has certainly already made and uh, are in the process of uh, implementing. Um, but what's interesting to see is that so... Combine, it's a framework that deals with asynchronous code and with a lot of uh, possible use cases. Uh, you can do a lot of complicated orchestration. It can also deal with things like back pressure. So when you need to buffer, when basically there are more events produced and you can process them. So it's a very big framework. Async await, it's much more focused on the very simple use cases of basically like taking tasks and making them run either in sequential order or in parallel order. But since it's very focused on this particular problem, it deals with it, it deals with it very well. So I don't expect one to, is going to take over the other because they solve different problems. Uh, I do expect people to use async await when they want to deal with the most basic use case of asynchronous programming. Um, then what I'm waiting to see is how Apple could integrate async await uh, with combine because for instance I've been looking at other languages for instance I've been looking at Flutter so Flutter it's uh, it's an hybrid framework to build apps for iOS and Android it's made by Google and it uses the language Dart and in this language in this language they both have something that is very similar 
to combine and something that is very similar to async await. And the two of them are completely bridged together, meaning that you can use them very uh, interchangeably. So like one of the things with combine, um, and I've tried explaining this, is like combine is very much publisher subscriber model. That's that's it. That is what it is. It's for updating large streams of data into the UI or whatever whatever thing is going to react to that ch- those changes. Whereas async await and promises and that stuff is much more about like single call, single action uh, type type interfaces like an asynchronous call where, where I see like that bridge is with like the future publisher. Have you worked with the future publisher? Very quickly. Okay. So it's like a built-in publisher for callbacks. So I could see how like future is essentially that future structure is really about taking a promise or an async callback and mapping that to combine. But I don't think you'll ever have a case where you're going to take something from combine necessarily no. and map it to async await. The, the way that async await is made uh, nowadays in Swift, you don't have this idea of producing values over time. So you're absolutely right with this. In, in Flutter, they, they also added async star, which lets you deal with a flow of value over time. So it's a little bit different, but you're absolutely right. Mm, interesting. Being able to 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 map a future in combine with async await, it's something that Apple could do and honestly it's also something that we can even uh, write ourselves uh, taking a publisher and uh, creating a computed var called to async that is going to return the equivalent of the publisher but with an async function as its API it's something that can already be done uh, today exactly yeah I would definitely if the listeners are interested take a look at the future uh, built-in publisher because that's really for dealing with asynchronous calls and mapping that to combine because that's that's kind of what that's that's for. I use that a lot actually when I don't use a lot of the built-in URL session publishers. I actually just call because there's a lot of transforming I need to do and for unit testing purposes and things like that. I use the actual URL session stuff and then I'll I'll use the future uh, publisher in order to get the data back and then, you know, JSON decoded or whatever else. Yeah. And actually, if we have uh, listeners that uh, want to try out async await and are very enthusiastic to try it, uh, a good exercise that uh, I can suggest is to try and make an async version of uh, the function uh, data task yes. on uh on URL session, actually, when I give workshops on async await, that's one of the exercises because you need to use with unsafe continuation. And uh, also it shows you like uh, how the new APIs that we're going to get, how they are implemented under the hood. And it's really like once you have the logic for it, it's not that complicated uh, to write. It's definitely like not hundreds of lines. We are more like in uh, 10 or 20 lines or so. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that's a great way to get started is just doing a simple data task. If people really uh, are interested and they want to have the best possible information about async await, well, the best way to have good information is to go directly at the source. And so they can take a look on the Swift forum on the Swift evolution proposal that actually pitched async await because uh, this is where you will find, I guess, all the information about what async await is, but also the motivation uh, behind it, how the people that uh, that pitched it have, uh, have thought about it. And uh, I think it's a very good way to get started, not only with uh, this new addition to the language, but also why the people felt like it was important to add them. 
I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention, and uh, I probably mentioned this uh, earlier in the recording uh, with one of our sponsors, but Vincent will actually be speaking at Swift Heroes this year on this very topic. So if you want to hear more about this um, and get more of a deep dive and actually have visuals, which are always nice, <laughs> uh, you'll definitely want to check check that conference out. There's a discount code I probably have already mentioned in this episode if you listen to the sponsorship. So definitely use that to get some uh, get a discount on your typic ticket. But uh, that will be on Friday, April 16th. So you'll definitely want to check that conference out. Not only will Vincent be speaking, but uh, previous guests like uh, Donnie Walls will also be speaking on Core Data as well. And of course, yours truly will be giving a talk on Swift packages uh, as well. So if you want to hear about how Swift packages work uh, and how to integrate them into your projects, you'll definitely want to get a ticket to Swift Heroes. You'll want to use that discount code to get 20% off your ticket. So definitely want to uh, listen in on that sponsorship and use that discount code to listen to Vincent and I talk at Swift Heroes 2021. Is there anything you'll be, you're hoping to put into your talk this year uh, that we haven't already mentioned? Well, I think it's going to depend a lot about uh, if there are new additions in uh, in the in the beta in the snapshot that uh, the swift team uh, is going to publish but uh, i'd say what i'm going to to cover is uh, how to how to set up uh, i'm going to redo it but basically what i'm going to cover is first start with the lowest possible api so this idea of uh, with and safe continuation see how we can take existing asynchronous code that works with a compression handler and turn it into an async function, then see how we could try and build ourselves async API for dispatch queue and URL session, see how we can then start and make some calls in uh, in code that makes sense for UI app, for, for uh, in code that makes sense for an iOS app, so for instance, making network calls, then see how we can deal with more like involved cases like responding to an event from the UI. How do we make sure when we use async await that uh, we are indeed having our UI code on the right thread in order like not to crash at runtime, um, this kind of thing. And also maybe try and give some example of how we could try and bridge combine with async await with what we said, how we could take a future publisher and expose it with uh, an async API. Awesome. And so what's your expectation on when this will be released uh, with Swift? That's a good question. So I, I think all bets are still off because there hasn't been anything announced and I don't expect them to set a date ahead of time. Uh, honestly, given like the, the scale of the feature and what is going to need in, uh, in terms of uh, new APIs in foundation and stuff, I don't expect it to be announced before WWDC. I think it, if it's announced, it's going to be during the WDC. And uh, maybe like if it's not there yet, it might not even be announced yet. And maybe it could be for some time later in the, in, in the future. Uh, Language-wise in Swift, it seems that uh, the work is going on well, but uh, we don't know like all the other parts that might be, that might be needed in, uh, in Foundation, in uh, UIKit, in Swift UI, etc. So I'd say WWDC, but uh, all bets are still off. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's still good to know. Thank you so much, Vincent, for coming on the show. Where can people find you? Uh, well, you can find me. So first, thank you for having me, Leo. And so people can find me on Twitter, on uh, YouTube. Uh, on Twitter, I also run the iOS memes uh, account. And uh, also people now can find me on Clubhouse since it seems to be like the the app that is uh, trending these days. <laughs> awesome. And we'll have links to that as well as your YouTube channel. If people want to check that out, especially those two videos on async await. Folks can find me on Twitter at Leo G Dion. My company is Bright Digit. Please, if you can, take some time to give us a review on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify or Amazon. Thank you again for joining us, and I look forward to talking to you again.